we were in negotiations. Investing in real estate. They're winning, they're making money. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amolsch. This podcast is different than anything I've seen, where we don't only focus on real estate investors, but on the content creation behind that. I want to help more real estate investors and real estate influencers build their wealth. Hey, if you like what you hear, even if you don't, please share it with a friend and give me a five-star review. I have a fantastic guest. I'm super excited to introduce you to Todd. Now, Todd, interesting, when I was reading your bio, I've known you for several years now, but I didn't realize that you started in 2008, which is exactly when I started Pine Financial Group. Um, tons of success, assisted living, multifamily, over $500 million in assets, I believe, and you said something like $80 million in private capital raised. You're somebody I want to learn from. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. Really, really appreciate it. Looking forward to yeah. this. And yeah, we've known each other for quite some time. I think I, I attended a Pine Financial event in the Twin Cities here. Boy, I mean, I don't even know when, probably like mid to whenever you first started doing them, like 2012 or 2013 or whatever it was. A long time ago. ago. I didn't realize that. You know, I've seen you around quite a bit and we've talked quite a bit, but I didn't realize that you were like, I guess, in the sphere from the very beginning. (laughs) That's really cool. Well, we want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I I know I'd give you a real quick short intro there, but I really want to dig into your story here a little bit. So why don't you tell us like, How'd you even get started in real estate in 2008 in the worst time maybe ever in the real estate world? How'd you get started? Yeah, it's funny. So it's the it was the worst time and the best time to get started, right? So so in hindsight, it was the absolute best time to get started. It's funny when I talk to people and I tell them I started in 2008, they're like, oh, how lucky was that? I'm like, well, you have to realize that in 2008, that wasn't lucky. Everybody was scared. Everybody was running the other way. It's like a, you know, a, the inferno. The, the whole building is on fire and everybody's running out. And I decide, oh, I'm just going to go in there and, you know, I, I got a, I got a Gatorade bottle full of, full of water. I'm just going to spray that on the fire. I'll, I'll extinguish it myself. Right. Like that's, that's like the, the, that time. So, uh, so I, I'll, I'll take you back a little farther than that. I, I was a high school teacher. That was what I, my, my dream job was to be a high school teacher. I was teaching industrial tech. So woods, metals, uh, construction, that type of stuff in the high school and middle school. And uh, very quickly, you know, basically like day three of teaching, I told my wife, I'm like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. Cause I, it just didn't click for me. And I, you know, Hey, look, look, I'm impatient. And so I thought I better stick it out for a little while longer. Right. I can't just make that decision right away. I went to school for four and a half years to do this. Like I can't just make that decision right away. So I stuck with it. Uh, but it just wasn't, it never was for me. And, uh, you enjoyed parts of it, but at any rate started, uh, just really diving into different entrepreneurial books um, and loving real estate and, uh, did construction, remodeling construction through the summers. I always kind of was that handy type person, um, owned a shipping crate business when I was a kid where I built shipping crates for my dad's, uh, the, the company he worked for. Uh, so it's just kind of like, it, it made a lot of sense. And so that was 2006, 2007, 
and the market was starting to kind of show cracks and starting to crash in 2007. Um, and, and I'm glad I wasn't ready. Quite frankly, like timing worked perfect, right? So I wasn't ready yet to buy. And the market was like peaking and crashing. And by the time I was finally ready, finally got like, and it wasn't necessarily the education, Kevin, it's the, the mental block, right? Of like getting to that point of, I, I can actually do this. I can buy something, right? Um, when that was finally ready, the market had crashed far enough. Um, and I was naive, honestly. That, that's why I started investing. I was naive about what was happening in the market. And I just thought there was great deals. And, and it, quite frankly, that's really what it was. Um, but I didn't realize that the market was still crashing. I didn't know how far it would go. I didn't know much of anything. Um, but I did know that I was able to buy a house for $60,000, put a little bit of money into it, and then rent it for $1,400. And wow. I figured that math worked all day long. I can do this. I bought that first house. It was just a single family house. Actually, I bought three at one time, Kevin. I, I bought a single family house to flip. Um, that was a big flop. Uh, made like $2,000 and I, I worked a lot of hours on that thing. So I probably made like $1.50 an hour. Hey, you were profitable. <laughs> profitable. Not everybody was. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is very true. It was profitable because at that time in 2008, the market was going the wrong way so like i'm buying this house and i'm thinking we're going to make money but the value you know probably if i would have bought it and sold it day one if i could have done that flip that quick i probably would have made money but the value i i wouldn't be surprised if the value went down by 20 grand within you know the six months i bought it it was just crashing Crazy. so fast um so i bought that about another house that my wife and i bought to live in we did a uh, a re rehab loan on that. It was a foreclosure. And then I bought the, the single family to rent. And I was at that single family house. It was, um, I don't know, early on and I'm fixing it up. And this guy asked me what I'm doing and tell him what I'm doing. He's like, that's so stupid. It's like, you're going to lose all your money. And this guy is a, he was an investor. That's what he, you know, he owned a bunch of houses and he tells me I'm stupid and I'm going to lose all my money. And that was my first like a piece of advice I got from a real life person other than outside of a book, you know, I was like, you're a dummy. <laughs> and I've been, to, I've been told that so many times, uh, especially those first several years. Uh, I remember I ran out of money there. So I, so I would buy, I wanted to keep on buying houses. I want to build up this big rental portfolio. That was my dream. I'm going to right. buy all these houses and duplexes. And all. Well, I got to four houses I couldn't buy anymore because my credit ran out, right? And so I was like, I got to do something. So I'm going to call some local banks and see if I can get some loans. I got one local bank that gave me a loan. It was great. And I'm calling all these other ones. And I remember calling these banks and this lady, I, so many times I, these people were like, it's stupid. You know, I can't do this, whatever. This lady says to me, I call her and I'm talking to her and telling her my idea. I got this great business plan. I thought it was genius, right? And she's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. She's like, no bank's going to lend you. And any bank that does is going to end up going bankrupt because you're going to bring them down. She's like, you should, you should need to stop what you're doing right now. And, you know, What's like, this lady? Was this your banker? She was a banker. She was a banker. Yeah. Oh. She, 
because look, it's people like me that made this into the mess it was, right? That's that was her philosophy. And and I the the thing I knew enough to where I said to her, I said, look, listen, your bank is a stupid one. You guys were lending when the market was at its peak and when there was the most amount of risk. And now there's the least amount of risk and you're not willing to lend. I said, so that sounds like you're, you guys are the stupid ones to be. And I wish I would have remembered the lady's name because I'd love to call her up and go, hey, how's it going? It was right. No, I actually probably wouldn't do that because I don't like uh, I don't like confrontation. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, so that's that's, uh, you know, uh, the I guess I could keep going here. Um, well, take me back to, so that were yeah, you, let's, let's you were still doing the teaching as you were as yeah. you were buying. So you had to, there's had to be some transition here. Like, yeah. Um, and, it, and I know this and you know this, but a lot of people don't, it's so hard to replace income with rent. Like there, you have to have well, other sources of income, other sources of the fees I, or something. Uh, when you're making $30,000 a year, it's not that hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was teaching, man. I wasn't like a, a high paid sales guy or anything like that. Got it making $30,000 a year. So I had five rentals. So this is kind of a fun story. So I had five rentals at the time. Um, and it, I was making $28,000 with those five rentals. And then I had history to prove it. Um, and then I was flipping houses because again, when I ran out of money, I, I kind of missed that part of the, but when I ran, or sorry, ran out of uh, credit, I started flipping houses. I didn't know what else to do. So I started right. flipping houses. And that first flip, that was a flop. I swore off flipping. I'm never going to do that again. This sucks. I'm never doing that again. And then I ran out of credit and I'm like, I got to start flipping again. <laughs> so I started flipping it. Well, then I started making money on the flips because I learned from my first original mistakes and I started making good money and I'm flipping houses. And so I, I want to quit my job. This is 2010, 2009, 2010. I want to quit my job. And my wife's like, no, there's no way. You know, she, she grew up with a, with a dad who was an entrepreneur that, you know, there was some struggles here and there and, you know, whatever. It just, she's like, no, she just, no way. We go to church and the pastor is like, literally like you ever been to a speech or been to church or whatever, where like whoever's talking, you swear they're staring you into right at you. And I swear he's looking at us the whole time and just like, his whole message is about what we're going through right now. And he's talking about, you know, taking a risk and trusting in God and all this kind of stuff. And we get into the car and we start driving. We got our little uh, baby girl in the back and, and um, stop at a stoplight. No, no, neither of us has said a word. Um, just completely silent, just awkward silence. If you know my wife, that's impossible. <laughs> Finally, she, she's like, you can quit your job. Just show me the numbers and you can wow. quit your job. So I'm getting me. chills here yeah. talking to you about this, Todd. That's amazing. It's a, it was amazing. That's it was really a, cool. This, this, so it was, yeah. So this, uh, you know, short of the 20 grand, short of the flips. I said, look, even if, even if we can't, even if I can't make a dollar on these flips, even if I make $0, these rentals essentially replace my income. So we're good. And she's like, okay, we're good. Like I, I believe in it. So uh, off to the races, I went, flipped, ended up from there, from then on, um, maybe I had flipped five or six houses. So from then on, I flipped over a hundred houses. 
bought another hundred rental properties. Um, and then, and then eventually in like 2015 started transitioning to apartments is, which is where I'm at today. Now buying a hundred to 200, 300 unit apartment buildings, uh, mostly in the Midwest. And then, as you said, I've got some assisted living, got some retail, got some, uh, industrial, uh, but, but bread and butter is still apartments. So the transition was easy. You're into commercial now, but transition was easy because you went into the residential side of commercial, right? With the, with the multifamily. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I mean, the, the, look, it was easy. I think it's easy no matter what the hardest part of the transition isn't, isn't going from residential to commercial. The hardest part is the mindset shift. That's, that's the hardest part is yeah, to, just to not start- a zero, right? Yeah, but the other zero is intimidating, right? For so, sure. Now, and that's a good point that you just made. Look, I was buying houses and I'm buying them for one, two, three hundred thousand dollars, sometimes even four hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so you just got to add a zero, right? Maybe two, but you just got to add it one or two zeros and you're good. So it sounds easy, but when you all of a sudden see that first deal that you're putting an offer on and and that's like six, $7 million. It's like, holy crap, can we do this? Like, where's the money coming from? Is this real? Like, it, it's just a big, in my opinion, big mindset shift, or at least it was for me. It was very intimidating. It took me a while to get there. I wanted to get there, Kevin, a lot earlier. I wanted to start doing this in 2013, 2012, but I was just so intimidated by the thought of doing it, that it just never really pulled the trigger. It's interesting you say that because you mentioned going to school for four years so that you could work your dream job. And then based on what I'm hearing, you were in that dream job for three-ish years, (laughs) something like that. Total of five, total of five. Okay. Okay. Cause I was going to make the joke that you studied longer than you actually did the career, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) but I guess (laughs) that's not quite true. Well, it is, it actually probably is true because it was, it was, I studied and did the job for pretty much the same time because I, uh, I was in college for four and a half years and I was teaching for four full-time years and then one half-time year. That's right. So it's pretty even then. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So I I didn't, I didn't even think about that, but that that is so true. But that's just, that's, you know, it's just how it goes. Right. That's part of life. Yeah. And I dude, it's so funny because I have these conversations with buddies and we're out at networking events or like more intimate type settings. And we talk about college education and, and how important is that degree? And, and my goodness, man, there's, so many different opinions about this, yeah. right? But for you, I mean, it got you where you are for sure, but you're not using your degree not at all. and all you would have done, honestly, probably is sped up your career. Had you not, had you not done that. So what side of the fence do you fall on? Like, yeah, it, it, it's a really difficult question because you don't, I don't know what would have happened had I not gone to college or right, had I gone to a, like fair. a tech college or, or, like what would have happened? Where would my life be right now? So it's really hard to answer that question. Now, here's what I do know. When you're 18, at least me, when I was 18 and 19 and 20 and even 21 and 22, I was very immature, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, I just wouldn't have been successful doing what I'm doing now. I just wouldn't have. I was very immature. I, I was into girls and beer and 
that's it. Right. Right. And so I, I, Thinking back and going, would would I would have been better off not going to college? I think the answer probably is no. I probably should have went to college. Now, should I have went for something else? Should I should I have probably went to and got a business degree or marketing or, you know, something else? Yeah, probably. But at the same time, maybe not because again. I set myself up as a teacher, making very low income. It was very easy for me to transition into what I did. So there's. It's, it's impossible to know. My son right. actually, he's 10 years old. He's got dyslexia. He struggles in school. And he's, we were talking about college. And he says, I'm probably not, I'm probably not a college type of guy, am I, dad? And I'm just like, you know what, buddy? We don't know yet. Like, we'll figure it out. It, but I'm not, I'm never going to push my kids into college, but I'm also not going to push them out, out of college. They right. can decide. It's either uh, way. And I'm in that camp. Lot, Let's let's strategize. Let's figure out kind of where you want to go right now. That's going to probably change, but let's strategize and let's figure out is college the right fit for you or is it not? Yeah, no, I am in total agreement. I would never pressure. What I don't like about it, Todd, is what I don't like about it is that the people go into debt to do it. So you go into debt to get a degree that you're not going to use. Now that doesn't make any sense to me. So if there's a plan, I love it. For me, I was I was like you. I I wasn't mature at 21 and 18 and 19. And that's why I went into the military. I didn't want to waste away my years, but I didn't want to go to college. I was so stunned with college, but I ended up going to college and I got my four-year degree and I used that degree for two years. So I got you beat there. And then, and then I got into real estate, (laughs) but what I, what's interesting about your story is you went, you wanted to be a teacher. That was your dream job, which you accomplished, but you were an entrepreneur since a kid. You said you were building crates. How old were you when you were doing that? Probably like 14. So you had that entrepreneur spirit. Yeah. I started from very uh, young. I started a lawn mowing company when I was probably 12 or so. Um, So it was doing that for you know, wasn't very successful, uh, but but still was, was, we were out there, we were trying to be, a, we were dreaming about being business, but at the same time, I was more into like riding my bike and playing than totally. I was mowing lawn. So I wasn't very dedicated uh, entrepreneur at the time, but yeah, I was out there wanting to, I've always had that kind of, when I, and I didn't realize it until I like now look back, right? But I've always kind of had that entrepreneurship type spirit, right? Where'd that come from? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, my dad worked a, you know, nine to five job. Well, more than that, but work, work was a hard, you know, worker and, and worked a manufacturing company and, and, you know, my brothers and sisters all got nine to five jobs out of, out of school. Um, grandma, grandpas, aunts and uncles, everybody that I really was influenced around had nine to fives. The only one I can think of is my mom. Who was uh, who ran a daycare and was a stay-at-home mom that loved the idea, never really did it, but loved the idea of being an entrepreneur. Loved the idea of like kind of she was kind of that dreamer. Um, now to this day, now fast forward, I've got a sister that owns a, a kitchen um, cabinet company. Uh, she does some some construction as well. Uh, my brother owns a construction company. Uh, I own the real estate uh, business. You know so. Uh, but my other sister, she, she does some 
more side hustle stuff. But so now it's like funny because we're all kind of semi-entrepreneurial. <laughs> it's just weird. Isn't that I, interesting? It's really interesting. I, yeah, I think it's about um, allowing, I don't know what creates a kid, a person to be an entrepreneur, but I think, you know, allow your kids to, to dream and to dream with them. Right. And to, to, show them the possibilities that are out there. I think if my parents would have really shown me the possibilities that are out there or other people besides my parents, by the way, it maybe would have been a, an easier path to get there. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I don't have any regrets. So, but I think for other people, you think about it when you're in high school and you, you, everybody's telling you what you should do for the rest of your life. Does anybody say you should open up your own business? Never. Did you ever have somebody do that? No, I never had. In that. fact, I had my buddies tell me that I'm, I'm just like you. I'm crazy. I'm stupid. I'm all of the, yeah. the, the words you could think for even wanting to have a dream like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we take these tests in high school that tell us the path we should go down, right? Yeah. Nowhere in that past and in that path, at least when I was there, did it say own your own business. Like that just wasn't a part of it. It's, yeah, it's doctor, test. lawyer, teacher, right? Study, take the test. You can't have any help. You can't have any notes. Yeah. Look, in business, you have to work collaboratively to be successful. You have yeah. to work with the person sitting next to you, you know? So it's the, the school system is very interesting. In, in business, you are literally, you know, in high school, the teacher would be saying you're cheating, you know? Right. You're, Right. We're doing it honest and ethical. Right. But we're cheating. We're I, I'm looking at other people's notes all the time. Of course. <laughs> you know, there's no self-made people, successful <laughs> no. people. I mean, I love to hear that. I like to hear that you were able to be successful and you didn't have money given to you. I appreciate that. But you're not self-made. No. Right. No. There's a lot of people that helped you. Oh, my gosh. hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent of the time. Agreed. Well, let's get into what you're working on now. So you have your podcast. Yeah. You have a conference. I think you're doing so, some coaching. So where do we start? Yeah. So, um, so the, so my company, uh, Endurance Capital is, uh, we, we like kind of already said, we, we own multifamily, um, mostly multifamily assisted living and some, some commercial, uh, we're just continuing to expand that, continue to grow the company. I do have the podcast. The podcast is called Pillars of Wealth Creation. Of course, your listeners love to have you listen after they listen to this. Um, Pillars of Wealth. It's been it's been going for a, a lot of years. Let's see. It's this will be. Uh, it's been going for seven years now. I've got six hundred episodes, uh, so it's been going for a while. It's been a blast. I do have uh, some coaching that I do. Uh, it's not a big part of my business. I coach people uh, to do basically what I do. Uh, but it's something I don't really push hard and uh, just do more or less when I have the 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 time to do it. So it's not something I've, I've been big at pushing. I don't have, I'm not a big guru. Um, and then I, I've got the uh, North Star Real Estate Conference, which was actually changed that, Kevin, we used to do it on an annual basis. And now I'm doing a quarterly kind of more of a lunch and learn type of thing. So it's a, more of a small group, 50 people type of thing. We, we cap it at and, uh, and we pick a topic and we're going for a couple hours on it. So it's almost like a meetup 
um, and conference kind of combined. The Real Estate Educators Podcast is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial Group is a private lender specializing in value-add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short-term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right. You can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street with the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund 5. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. So you, I've noticed on yours that you're, you don't have guests as much. It's you and Matt and you guys just do, do your thing. No, so what's that's not true. <laughs> ah, it's not. Well, tell me about it then. Because when I, when I see the promotions for yeah. it, it's, so- it's you two. Okay. So yeah, you, you're right. You're right. Uh, but so we, I do two episodes a week. One episode is an interview and the other episode is, is Matt Jones and myself. And so that's, you're probably seeing a lot of times that. So I do a okay. Monday release and a Wednesday release. And so that's, that's what we got. So yeah, we're still doing a lot of interviews, still doing 52 a, a year. Um, but then I do also 52 other episodes that are just Matt and myself. And then we also release some like random episodes where if I uh, just have something I want to talk about, and I, you know, 10 minute type of episode, uh, we'll do those too. So we do have random episodes that pop up here and there too. Okay. So from all the guests, I'm, as you know, I'm just kind of getting started with this podcasting thing. We have the YouTube and we do some of the other stuff. So this is yeah. fairly new to me. Um, you've been doing it a long time. In fact, of all the people I've interviewed so far, you've had the longest running show. So tell me, like, what's what benefits are you getting from the show, and what's your goals with it, and yeah, what's your plans? Yeah, so uh, there's there's a couple things, and honestly, to to be honest, I I probably haven't maximized my podcast like I like I probably should, um, and there's a lot of thought into that, and and I. I continue to go back to saying, Hey, I need to really make this a better podcast and spend more time on it. But the podcast, what do I get out of it? There's a couple things. First of all, it's amazing to interview a lot of entrepreneurs. I get to meet a lot of people that are successful. When you interview them, it's different than just listening to them. I think I have to be very intentional about how I listen to them to be able to formulate good questions. And I try not to come up with, I have some questions that are kind of my just go-to questions just in case, but I'd rather have a good conversation. And so it, it allows me to really listen in detail and take a lot more out of it than I do in any other podcast, right? Because when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm driving down the road or whatever, and I'm distracted, I'm listening to the podcast, but a lot of times there's other things going on. And, and so you just don't get quite as much. So I really get a ton of information. Plus I get to meet these people. And so I've created a decent amount of contacts and friends and I've gotten invited to conferences to speak at conferences. Um, I, I've, I've gotten introductions to 
other guests, uh, to other to investors, to uh, brokers, to, to just all kinds of different people. And so a big networking opportunity, right? That's that's a huge thing. And the, the other thing too is, you know, I raise capital like like you do as well. So for our for our multifamily and our, our all our stuff we do, we do syndication on them and we're raising capital. And so this allows my potential investors and my current investors to hear what's going on, to hear my philosophies, to get to know me a little bit better. So I get that phone call where it's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm interested in investing in your company. I say, you know, let me know what what you want to know about us. What kind of questions do you have? Oh, I know everything about you. I've been listening to your podcast for three years. That's That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome because they already are comfortable. They're, they're, they're basically ready to invest. Um, so it's a way for somebody to get to know me and they can get to know seven years of me right now if they really want to spend that much. So most people probably don't listen to all 600 episodes, <laughs> but they certainly could. And they could get to know me throughout the years and they can hear my philosophies. A little bit. So there's a lot of good benefits um, with the podcast. Monetarily, I, I don't benefit from it. Um, I certainly could. Um, I know we're, we're in the, you know, top like 3% of all business associated podcasts. So I, I could easily monetize it, but I just, I just haven't. Okay. That's good to know. I, yeah, my plan was not to monetize either. I think it's very similar to you meet people network. I just want to help people, you know, and if they could listen to you, me interviewing you and you could share some wisdom on them and, and it benefits them and they make more money. That's really why I'm doing this. There's, there's Um, a huge that that's amazing too. That's a big part of it. And you, I don't know if you've had this yet because you haven't been doing it for a long time, but you'll get it is just somebody will be like, I listen to your podcast all the time. And I'm so grateful for what you do. And it's just like, that's really cool. It kind of validates what you're because there's totally. sometimes, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I've got, sometimes I just don't have time to do this interview or whatever. And I just like, yeah, should I keep on doing this podcast? And then you hear that from somebody and it's like, okay, this is why, yeah. this is why I got to keep on going. Um, so yeah, that, that's so cool. When you hear that person, it's like, man, you've changed my life or you have made my life better or whatever. It's just like, man, that's really cool. Appreciate it. Yeah. That. We get some of that with the YouTube. So, you know, we've been doing YouTube for years. Yeah, that's right. A little short, five, 10 minute videos, very short. Um, and we get that all the time. People come up to me and tell me they've been following it and how much they benefit from it and how much money they've made because of one specific piece of advice or something. So this is just another you know, another uh, medium, medium, I guess, for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I love that piece. Yeah, somebody who's doing this and, and if you're just starting, whether it's a YouTube channel, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, doesn't matter what it is, but it, look, just consistency just keep on going because you might only get 10 people that see your first 20 episodes 50 episodes but just keep going because it's affecting people and you know it's going to grow it sometimes it takes a long time to grow um but just be patient and just continue to harvest it and it'll grow and it'll make an impact and a difference love it love that advice all right, North Star. I didn't realize you switched over your the way you're handling that. So you were always doing the uh, the conference, and so I, th- I think like we'd have our conference, you'd have yours, and then we'd make sure that they're not uh, butting heads and they're separate. And we were always like the 
here's a really inexpensive, just <laughs> local. And then you went, you went big, you went the other way. Yeah. So, uh, so what, why'd you make that change? Look, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if I, if I should go. And, and there's always the possibility that I'll end up going back, but it's a lot of work, but on a conference, as you know, for sure. And, uh, and I just didn't really want to continue to put the time and energy into it. And so we, we switched gears and I also am, you know, I'm, I thought really hard about why I'm doing this conference and, and, uh, just felt like this kind of smaller group, this more lunch and learn dinner and learn type of event would be more advantageous to what I'm trying to achieve. Um, and so, yeah, so that's really ultimately why I made that, that change. Um, the conference was great. You know, we'd have 100, 150 people show up and have a good time. And um, it was always a blast. And it's, man, talk about a, a just like an adrenaline rush the days of the conference. But, man, leading up to it and even post-conference, it's just, it, it was just exhausting. And I just like, I don't know. I, I just wanted to change, I guess, for a little while. So, yeah, I, I completely understand. Were, were you seeing any benefit? I mean, were, did you, did you guys make money on that or is that more for a networking or what, what yeah. was the, what was the goal of it? And did you accomplish that goal? Yeah. I, so the goal is very similar to the podcast goal, right? Um, so we accomplished some of the goals. I, I would say, yeah, we made a big impact in people and, and accomplish that portion of the goal. Um, there's, you know, I wanted to, to grow the coaching business. Um, and, and so probably a little bit accomplished that, not nearly to what I would have liked to do, but I also didn't promote, I'm just not in love with big promotion. So I never promoted it the way I probably should have. Um, and then gaining investors too uh, is, is the other thing and, and just awareness around the brand and certainly certainly probably accomplished that as well. So yeah, I think it was worth it. Didn't make money on it. I, I think the first year we made like two or $3,000, we gave that all away to charities. Um, the second year I lost two or $3,000. Third year, same thing, broke even or lost. And then I think we did it, we did it three live years. So, uh, and then the one year was a COVID year. But, you know, the, the fun thing where you couldn't, do a live event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, re I I went to two. So you only did three. Okay. I went to two of the three. I, I had a blast, man. So yeah. For what it was worth, thank you for putting those on as well. I maybe I maybe I did four. I don't know, but we never made money. Yeah. Just, yeah. We don't either. Yeah. Um, but it certainly is a great way to promote your company and your your personal brand. Yeah. Um, so how the lunch and learns, is it like are you literally on meetup or how would someone find out? about that or are they invited like what yeah meetup.com or go to the north star it's so north star unlimited.live is our website so we always post them on north star unlimited.live we throw them on meetup.com we throw them on facebook too so if you're connected with, you with facebook you'll probably see them but maybe maybe not facebook has the the algorithms where you just don't know right um and then if you're part of my mailing list usually i send it out too so and this is in minnesota in the Twin Cities. Correct. And Correct. it's all yeah. live. So you, it's all people live. have to. Yep. Yeah. We don't do anything virtual uh, right now. I do some webinars here and there, but I haven't been super active lately in webinars just because, you know, I got the podcast and, and the podcast goes on the YouTube. And so I just haven't done a lot of webinars. 
Yeah. You're really focused in on um, your deals. That's what I love about you. You're a, you're a deal guy and all this education helps support that. So there's no, no money being made in coaching, no money being made on the podcast, no money being made in North star. It's all about, about doing real estate deals. So, you know, so Kevin, I, I was, I think it was about a year and a half or two years, probably two years ago now that I was really looking at the coaching business and going, wow, you know, I could really expand this and here's the money you could make and you could affect all these people and blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at this and I'm getting excited about it. And I'm, I'm kind of going, I think I want to go this route. And then I stopped and I said, what are my real goals? What's my true goal? What do I want to achieve in 10 years? What do I want my life to look like when I'm 90, 150? You know, what, like, where do I want to be? And I, you never know, right? Things will change. But I, I looked there and I looked at it and I said, I, my real goal, my true goal is to continue to buy real estate and grow my real estate business, grow my assets portfolio. Is my goal to have this big coaching company? Not really. So why am I trying to build this big coaching company out? Let's stop thinking about doing that and let's continue to coach because I really enjoy it. And it's, it brings me a lot of passion and value to my life and to other people's lives, but let's just serve on a one-on-one -on -one basis with people who you feel like you can work with instead of trying to serve this big, massive amount of people. So, um, so yeah, I just, the, the growing, the, you got, you got to understand what, what you're trying to achieve, I think. And totally. If you understand I, that, I think it helps clarify a lot of the other stuff, right? There's, it's easy to get caught in the shiny objects. Um, so easy. Because so there's so many opportunities out there, Kevin. I mean, there's just so, so, there's so many ways to make money. Yeah, I, I, I like to share the story of some of my mistakes. And one of the mistakes was like the questions I was asking myself. I, I think that people don't understand how powerful that is. And I'm thinking of it right now because of what you just said. You asked yourself, is this really what I want? Um, that's a pretty good question to ask yourself to get you to where you want to go, right? Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm bringing that up right now, but I'm just thinking like the questions you ask in a sales setting or even more important to your own self, uh, how important that really is. Yeah. Yeah. I think anytime you're setting goals, right, you should really yeah. be. A lot of people have set goals from day one and then they move forward. I like to set goals from the end and it doesn't have to be the end of your life, but from a point long ways away, five years, 10 years. I don't like to go much more than 10 years because so much changes, but I want to set my long-term vision and then I want to come back. So I want to set, it's, it's just reverse of what a lot of people want to do. I want to make a million dollars. Well, okay. What do you, what do you want to do? Like where, what's that look like in five years? What, what do you, okay. Then now we can work back and come up with what we need to do mechanically. And Let's, why do you want to make a million? Yeah, exactly. Why? Yeah. That's, that's the question. That's a big part of your goals. Like, why do you want to do this? And so that's, that's what I had to look at. And that's, you know, when you said you're focused on the deals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and we're in a deal together, and and um, 
I know it's been a little bit challenging with interest rates going up. And so I'm just curious, you're probably more in, I'm assuming this, Todd, and that's probably unfair, but I'm assuming you're more in managing the portfolio than acquisitions right now. Probably some opportunities yeah. coming if we're all patient. Mm -hmm. um, so where, what do you think about like the, just briefly, but what do you think about the current environment? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. So we're very focused right now on asset management of all our current assets because we have a kind of a, a more challenging time uh, that's happening throughout commercial real estate, including apartments. Uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's panic mode by any means, um, at least for, for apartments, maybe for office, um, for a couple other assets. But, you know, we are really focused on current asset management and trying to create better systems and processes and checks and balances and KPIs and, and making sure we're, we're really doing what we need to do the right way. Uh, because there there's these challenges that are in the market, but also the market hasn't responded to the challenges to allow us for opportunity. And, uh, and I'll, I'll break that down a little bit. So sellers want, want the same prices they could have gotten a year or two ago. It's so weird. Yeah. And, and, and they haven't, they don't take into effect, in effect, the interest rate change, the market has changed, you know, look, nationwide rents just are, are basically stagnant for, for multifamily, uh, really for all of commercial uh, rents are pretty stagnant. And so, and, and what else we have going on? Well, we've got inflation happening. So on the income side, we've got stagnant rents on the expense side. We don't have stagnant expenses. You know, look, I have a property in St. Paul, the property taxes went up by 38% last year, 38%. That's extreme, but most of our properties are going up by over 10%, by double digits in property taxes, insurance costs. I have some friends that have properties in Texas and in Florida, in, in, in both of those states, insurance costs have gone up by like seven to 10 times, not percent, seven to 10 times. So I have a friend that was paying 250. Now they're paying 1900 per unit for insurance costs. So expenses have gone up, income hasn't, but the sellers are going, no, give me the same price. And so there's just this kind of time where I feel like it's a good time to say, we're going to keep on underwriting deals. We'll keep on looking at deals. We got a guy that does that full time. So he's just, he's still doing it, but we're probably not going to be buying many deals over the next six months, which is probably reality. Not that we wouldn't, but let's now focus on the inner workings of the business and make sure we're set up very strong for the future. Right. Yeah. I, totally kind of where I think at. that's smart. Yeah. So we'll see what, what happens. What is the market's going to be interesting over the next six, 12, 18, 24 months. There's going to be opportunities, right? I mean, I think so. I think so. It's hard to say, but I think I, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think the the residential side, I'm I'm unclear on. It's really hard to get a focus in yeah. on that. On the commercial, multifamily is definitely falls into this category. But I think that just for the reasons you just said, there's going to be opportunities because cap rates have to keep up with the interest rates. You're going to have to see those increase. At, at some point, and we're not seeing it yet. I agree with you, um, but 
I don't know, for, for the, the listeners, what, what advice would you give them in this current environment? Any, any advice? Like, what should they be focusing on right now? Yeah, I mean, the, my advice on, in this environment is probably the same as almost every environment. First of all, be patient. Like, look, you don't have to do this overnight. Uh, I started studying real estate in 2006, didn't buy my first property until uh, third quarter of 2008. You know, so you be patient. Don't worry about the pressure that you're either putting on yourself or maybe other people are putting on you or you're seeing social media posts, whatever. I think that's the big thing, big difference between then and now. You know, 2008, nobody was making social media posts on what MySpace at the time um, about their real estate success. Now everybody is. So you feel that pressure. So just be yeah. patient. Understand that, look, you want to get in a deal that makes sense. Pull. You have to be able to pull the trigger when a deal makes sense. Um, but you also have to be willing to say no when it doesn't make sense. So don't just get into deals to break even, to barely make a dollar. Make sure you're, there's margin there. Um, be cautious. Be patient. Uh, the other thing, too, is look, you, you do have to take action. And action can come in different ways. But... You do have to take action. I think the difference between those who are successful and those who are, aren't are the successful people. They take some risks and they take, they take action. Yeah, no, I love it. I big, big believer on that. That's that fear, the fear, usually it's fear of failure, but that fear that's preventing the action and that's what's crippling to most people. So I love what you're saying here. Um, yeah. And take action now. Like you can still do deals, uh, absolutely. but- just be careful, right? Yeah. Tighten your underwriting. We're seeing, we're seeing investors stress test more. They're, they're underwriting at what if the interest rates go up another percent? Does the deal still work? That kind of thing. Maybe lower your ARV if you're doing a fix and flip. Maybe, maybe trim 5% off or something and underwrite it at that, at that value. Those are the types of things that, that I am seeing our successful clients doing, uh, but I'm not seeing them stop. So I, yeah. I agree with you. Look, find, find mentors, uh, whether it's a paid mentor or a, a mentor that you can, you know, we'll do something for, for free or whatever, exchange for work or whatever it might be. But find mentors, people that can say, look at your stuff and say, look, did you think about this? And I mean, Kevin, I, I know you guys, I mean, you, you guys, if somebody's doing a flip and they're going to use Pine Financial, you guys aren't going to, you're going to stress test their deals. You're going to, you know, so I mean, just look, think about what you're doing and, and who can look at deals. Look, it's my, in, in my industry, I've got mortgage brokers that they, if you say, Hey, underwrite this deal for me, what do you think about it? They will help. They will look at it. Now they're totally. not going to do it from start to finish, but if you have stuff in front of them, they'll, they'll look at it and they'll go, Hey, yeah, we can make this deal work or we can't. Yeah. Totally agree with you. And don't take advantage, but I totally agree with you. There, were, yeah, there are yeah, people yeah. that will help you. Right. You don't want to take advantage when you're not serious, but if you're serious, if you're ready to go, there's people out there that are willing to help and, and, and take advantage of that. Don't take advantage of them. Perfect. Love it. Cool. We got to wrap up here, but I, I do want to ask this question. I love this question. Um, tell me what real estate has done for you in your life. Boy. Um, I, you know, I, I I would say real estate probably hasn't done anything, okay? But the ability 
to execute on a business, which is real estate, um, has absolutely changed uh, the trajectory of, of where I was and, and where I am now. And so real estate is my product, but you know, just uh, the ability to create business and, and to grow a business. And I mean, I love real estate. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say, but um, I think it's the best product in the world because uh, I'm in it. Uh, but yeah, just, just look, I think um, this journey has changed the way I really think about life, about success, about, about people um, and all for the better and about my relationship with, with God. About, you know, about, it, it's, it's just completely transformed my life um, taking this journey. And I, I, th I think, you know, life would have been okay had I been a teacher and, and kept on being a teacher. But life is amazing now that I've taken this journey and stepped outside of my comfort zone. By the way, not just once, so many times, continuing to push the paradigm and, and shift the paradigm. And it's allowed me to, I guess, I think realize a, a, a better and, and just more meaningful journey along the way. It's great, man. And I got to say, we, we haven't done a ton of business together a little bit, um, but I, I really enjoy being on the journey with you, man. And yeah. I, I think it's fun that we both, I started quite a bit earlier than you in my real estate career, but my pine financial career sounds like the exact same year. So yeah. we've been on this thing together and uh, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. I, I love seeing your company uh, continue to be successful and grow. Um, you know, I know we'll, we'll continue to, to watch each other's uh, success and it's always fun. Um, I think you spoke at my conference uh, once, right? Once or twice. Yep. And then I, I, I was at yours too. And so it's, it's just been a lot of fun sharing um, each other's platforms and, and getting to know each other. Yeah. I have a high level of respect for you, man. Yeah, so tell me, uh, tell me how we get a hold of you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so my podcast pillars of wild creation, you can find it wherever you find uh, this podcast. And uh, my website is endurancecapital.com, E-N-D-U-R-U-S, uh, capital.com. If you want to talk to me about investing or just really just reach out for any reason. Um, I'm also on social media, probably LinkedIn and uh, Facebook are the best ways. Just send me a, a, a message though, because otherwise I probably won't uh, accept your friend request. Yeah, not because I'm an a-hole but, <laughs> but because I just don't go in there and like it so just send me a message first say hey I listen to you like to connect <laughs> okay fantastic and I'm gonna have to have you back on if you're open to it so so many more questions yeah. I have for you and your journey and and your success so I would like to have you back on if you're open to it um, but for now we got to sign off so Todd appreciate you coming on man thank you yeah thanks for having me Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah, and tell a friend.